Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Oh, do you have a question today? Am I supposed to start with a question today? I just realized this. Yeah, that's the rule. Okay, so Annie. Yes. I've got a question for you. Okay. What kind of question should I be asking? <laughs> Whatever big question is on your mind. Okay. Uh, what big question is on my mind? I have so many questions on my mind, but I don't know if that's pertinent. Uh, you just had lunch. What did you have for lunch today? Oh, the classic lunch. <laughs> you know, um, this it's actually a kind of a funny story because um, Samantha and I, uh, one of our sponsors just sent us a very late, uh, and I'm not mad about it, but it was a kind of surprise late um, meal kit. So I, I do my shopping in two weeks. I do the planning. It's like meticulous, what can last how long. And now I have four extra meals, which is a wonderful problem to have. I'm not complaining. But I don't want any food to go to waste. Right. So I'm having to revamp all of my meals and like combine things that I wouldn't normally combine. So today I had a broccoli and asparagus salad. Oh, was that from your kit? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to use up uh, the vegetables before they go bad. And because I have these meal kits now, I'm having to combine them. Okay. That <laughs> yes. sounds really delicious. It was. What did you have for lunch? I had a microwave meal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was going to be more, but then you no. just stopped. <laughs> All right. Because I'm not going to necessarily tell you the brand or whatever, but it was pretty much the adult version of uh, a SpaghettiOs, essentially. And I oh. missed those. I'm not going to lie. And the microwave meal was like l- lower or whatever. The leanish, whatever. Oh. Um, trying to keep it in proportion, but yeah, I miss my spaghettios. Just gonna say that I've never had spaghettios, but recently oh. on my other podcast, I'm on Savior, we did one on Chef Boyardee, which yeah. doesn't do spaghettios. Um, no, I did their ravioli, mini raviolis. Those yes, and I never had that, so I got some at my last grocery run, and I'm gonna have some okay. for the first time. It's kind of like the, the ramen thing where you can make it your own. So I would yeah. always put a lot of cayenne pepper and a lot of cheese, and it was Ooh. just a shredded, like melty, cheesy, little bit of pepper. Oh, I miss those amazing. days. And I thought that I was a chef amazing. too <laughs> when I did yes. this. I honestly oh, thought yeah. I was so so fancy. I think that is fancy. I love the idea of adding some spice to it. I'm excited. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not what we're talking about today. No. <laughs> not, I not just completely. got some because I realized, oh, I'm kind of leading this one and I didn't do the Annie classic question. So it, it cracks me up that you didn't go for the easy one, which is, did you ever think about being in politics? I, I like See, that this is you, why I can't do this. <laughs> you went the, no, this is great. You went a different I'm route. I'm in such a completely different mindset. Did you mm-hmm. think about getting into politics now that you say that? I did, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I did. When I was in third grade, I was told I would be a great politician because I looked people in the eye and said what I meant. And I was like, hmm. Interesting. Okay. And then I thought about it for a while, and I definitely got involved in college and uh, even in, yeah, in middle school and high school. But my, my life just didn't go that way. And then I got it really in my head that even though now I think I was too concerned about this, but at the time I was like, what if they find out that one time in college I did XYZ drug? Or like, yeah. I could never be elected. I mean, it's... 
well, once upon a time, it used to be that meticulous and that yeah, judgmental. I don't know how else to say it. Um, but yeah, that is what we're talking about today. Thank you for Annie, who yes. actually is on point instead of talking about canned SpaghettiOs no, or such. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to be talking about very recent events because we know this year is going out with a bang, especially when it comes to politics and the U.S. government. So we want to look around the country, and when I say the country, I mean the U.S., um, and, at, and the current elections to see where all our ladies are at. Mm-hmm. Where are ladies at? Um, and just to put this out there, we aren't hitting every state that would take a long, long time. And I did think about it, by the way. But we're like, oh, my God, this is going to be like a 10-hour episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are looking at a small number with some highlights. So if there is an election we don't mention in this episode and you guys want to tell us more about it, please do. The more information, the better. Absolutely. Um, Before we get into specific candidates, we did want to do a quick review of the stats of women in the current election. So if we look at the Senate, in 2018, the number of women had broken previous records of women running for government. And in 2020, the numbers continue to climb. In the U.S. Senate, 60 women are candidates, which makes the increase at 13.2% from the record set in the last election. And this year's record-breaking Senate numbers are due to the increase in both Democratic and Republican parties with 31 Democratic women, um, which equals to be a 14.8% jump, while there were 22 Republican women candidates broke their previous record by 29.4%. Right. And so in the U.S. House uh, in 2018, it was pretty much the Democratic Party that broke the record for most female candidates. This year, the number actually remained the same for the Democrats, while a huge contrast for the Republican Party, which added almost 100 more female candidates than in 2018, which pushed record-breaking numbers to a 70% increase a little more. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into why that might be. Yes, yes. And like we previously discussed in the first Women in Politics episode, this year was a record-setting year for the number of women of color who were running. For the U.S. House of Representatives, the number, according to the Center for American Women in Politics, women of color are at least 42.5% of all women running, 45.5% of Democratic women, and 37.9% of Republican women House candidates in 2020. And for the U.S. Senate, women of color make up at least about 30% of all women running in 2020, which doesn't really change so much for the Republican Party. So the bigger number was in the U.S. House, Um, though they have hit a record-breaking high overall, like we said. But actually for the Democratic Party, it shows a rise of 30.1%, which is a little less than the increase in 2016. So 2016 was the bigger impact. And though it is increasing, it still hasn't beaten that number. Right. And to break down this all a little bit more, we want to share some current specifics. Right now, there are only two Native Americans represented in Congress, Sharice Davids, the first openly LGBTQI Native American woman of Congress and the first openly LGBTQI plus representative of Kansas, elected in 2018, um, and Deborah Holland, elected in 2018 as well in New Mexico. For this election, the record number of 18 female Native American candidates are running for Congress, which is a slow start, but... It is a start. Right. And with the overall number of at least 267 women of color running as a major party candidate, there are at least 130 black women running this year. And by the way, there are only 44 black women who hold seats in Congress at this time, which is a new record. And additionally, there are currently 75 Latina 
candidates and 41 Asian Pacific Islanders and 16 Middle Eastern or North African candidates. So some definite progress has been made. And we did want to take a look at some specific candidates. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So yeah, let's let's look at some specific people that we should be watching, starting with Corey Bush out of Missouri. So from Ferguson, Missouri, Bush is a mother, pastor, and nurse, and is a progressive who is pushing to make significant change within the political system and a powerhouse activist who's been a part of the anti-racist movement in Ferguson since 2014. And after two attempts, she has ousted the incumbent William Lacey Clay. She will be running against Republican Anthony Rogers and Libertarian Alex Furman. And her platform includes Medicare for All, Green Deal, Education and Housing for All, Social and Criminal Justice Reform, prison reform, and many similar issues and platforms supported by Bernie Sanders, who is a supporter and endorser of Cori Bush. Right. And uh, many people are excited by her, as yes. they should be. Then there is Candace Valenzuela down in Texas, uh, a mother and an educator endorsed by the late Representative John Lewis and Representative Ayanna Presley. She'll be facing off with Republican candidate Beth Van Doon. Her platform includes gun control, educational access for all, healthcare access for all, criminal justice and police reform, and reproductive justice. She would become, by the way, the first Afro-Latina representative in U.S. history and would also flip the seat if elected. Looking at Kentucky, we have Amy McGrath. She had a pretty contentious runoff with Charles Booker, which was a fairly ugly campaign, but is now the current Democratic candidate running against Mitch McConnell. McGrath is a former Marine fighter pilot, and she had previously lost in 2018 in a run for U.S. House of Representatives against Andy Barr, but is now back. Her platform includes affordable health care, climate change policy, and a level of gun control. Right, and just a note, she's one of the more central-leaning, I guess, if we had to put it in a mm-hmm. way, uh, in as a Democrat. Okay, yes. Uh, and now let's talk about the squad. The squad! <laughs> the squad. Not surprisingly, the candidates informally known as the squad have been fiercely under attack and very visible with a lot of opposition, implying that they were at risk of losing their candidacy, which has been proven false. Though being outspent by almost 400%, they were still able to claim victory. Right. So Rashida Tlaib in Michigan, she has made history as being one of only two Muslim women in office. And though many tried to cast doubt on her campaign, she won out over Brenda Jones, who she just actually defeated previously. And as of this week, by the way, it's August 13, 2020, if you're wondering, um, Alan Omar was able to defeat Anton Melton Moe to the Minnesota District 5 primary and will be running in November. Then there's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she defeated former CNBC correspondent and anchor Michelle Caruso Cabrera in a June Democratic primary election for New York's 14th Congressional District. And then Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts did not have a primary challenger. And as of July, there was no Republican primary, and therefore the September election will be based on write-ins. Which was very interesting to me when I was looking that up. I was like, huh. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just surprised. I am too. It seems like it would have been uh, 
more of a an issue, I suppose, for, oh, for right. opponents. And I don't know much about Massachusetts, but just because there's such a campaign against the squad by the Republican Party, right. I'm actually surprised there was no one in place. Yeah. So uh, we're going to kind of come down to Georgia, Nakima Williams, who is currently a Georgia state senator. Uh, she was chosen by the party leaders after the death of John Lewis to replace him on the ballot. She'll be running against Republican Angela Staten King. Um, and there's been some conversation as to whether if she does win, which is likely, if she would resign to allow the citizens to vote instead of just accepting the appointment by the party leaders, which is kind right. of the reason I wanted to pull her up because of circumstances like this. Um, and I know many have asked, even though they are supporters, that she would do so to allow for the voters to have a choice. Um, and her platform does include Medicare for All and reformation of police policy. So it'll be interesting to see how that will play out. Yes, yes. Uh, and then if we look at Tennessee, we have Marquita Bradshaw. Bradshaw is a new face to the congressional race and apparently making some pretty big waves. She is known as a union and neighborhood organizer and is also known as an environmental activist. The Memphis resident is the only black woman to run for a major party seat in the state. Her win seemed to have been a surprise for the Democratic Party in Tennessee, especially with her campaign spending significantly less than her opponent. She will be running against Republican Bill Haggerty. Um, and then we did want to mention Sarah Gideon just because after the confirmation hearing for Justice Kavanaugh, we have watched, as many have predicted, him to continue to follow his anti-pro-choice agenda and the reckoning of his supporters who have been proven wrong as to whether he would remain neutral or objective. Uh, Susan Collins, who is the current representative, has been hit pretty hard by her stance in his confirmation. And so Sarah Gideon has shown a slight lead during this campaign. Um, Sarah Gideon is a state representative and current state speaker of the House. She's a moderate Democrat whose platform includes affordable health care, climate change policies, and um, addressing the opioid crisis. Yeah, so there's a handful of um, some of the Democratic candidates we're keeping an eye on. Um, but we wanted to talk about uh, Republican female candidates as well. And we're going to do that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, yeah, as we mentioned at the top, the Republican Party has broken the all-time record of female candidates this election. They have over a 70% increase in female candidates running this year compared to the 2018 election. The current amount of female representatives in Congress is significantly less than the Democratic Party, but they have quickly come together to change the narrative. And we see more women being represented in the party, maybe in part due to the 2018 elections and the new excitement of seeing women being represented in leadership. So groups like Republican Women for Progress and New York Republican Representative Elise Stefanik have continued to push for more women to step up into political positions. Though they still have received some pushbacks, uh, this year has made for a change in growth in female Republican candidates. And yeah, we want to spotlight some candidates that are making the news, starting with Kelly Loeffler, right here in Georgia. Loeffler was appointed by Governor Kemp for the Senate. Um, at this time, she has made some major headlines in regards to insider trading and profiting from the recent pandemic, as well as her leadership as an owner of the WNBA team. We touched on this pretty recently. 
fairly new to the political seat. She's currently facing Doug Collins within the Republican Party and Democrat Reverend Raphael Warnock, who, by the way, the WNBA team she owns is currently endorsing. They are wearing shirts <laughs> uh, supporting him at games. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also in Georgia, we did want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, she came out kind of out of nowhere. She is a supporter of QAnon and a fierce supporter of Trump. She defeated neurosurgeon John Cowan in the U.S. House primaries representing for Georgia. Um, she's already made a big splash with going after the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and her racist and anti-Muslim and anti-Semitic comments. So she is making that news. Uh, Trump praised her victory and is fully endorsing her candidacy without any surprise, and she'll be facing Democrat Kevin Von Ostel. Then there's Lauren Bobart. Um, She defeated incumbent Scott Tipton with many ads attacking him, stating that he was too liberal and not willing to fight for Colorado. Her platform includes guns rights and the open carry law. One of her uh, picks includes her pistol on her thigh. Her restaurant is known for her servers carrying guns while working, and it was alleged that a juvenile was allowed to carry as well. She is known as a QAnon sympathizer, and she'll be running against Democratic Diane Mitch Bush. Right. So these uh, names are coming up, and we love seeing women come out and being leaders. It's interesting to see who is uh, supporting what yeah. and how. Uh, definitely, I feel like the spectrum of where we are politically can be seen and represented by all of these women in different yeah. ways. And I do want to talk about uh, women in QAnon at one point in time because I find that fascinating in a different <laughs> level. That's just me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but of course, for this election... That and still Pizzagate and the birthright stuff is coming back up. Speaking of birthright, which is what we were talking about, uh, Kamala Harris. I did want to talk about her and her vice president nomination with Biden. Um, It was just recently announced, and the reaction is mixed. Yeah. Um, She has been called a cop candidate, and between her and his criminal policy record, many are concerned, especially with the current controversy of police brutality. And I think it's a bigger conversation, and I've been talking with a lot of different people about her um, record as well as her background in prosecution and her very hard-on crime and hard-on black uh, male criminals as well. And I think that's been a big concern, rightly so, for a lot of people who has been wanting and is still stressing about the uh, need for reform, especially within the police and um, law enforcement area. And I've said this a few times. I find that it is disconcerting because I don't think she's ever really addressed her records in California, which she should, which has to be something that needs to be stated. Of course, that's just my opinion. But at the same time, like... Being a part of something that, because I was a part of the court system as well, the juvenile portion, and there are a lot of things that are really ugly and just too black and white without room in any way. But I can't imagine being a leader, being a prosecutor as a woman of color, being a black woman, being in this leadership position in an era at a time where everything was supposed to be hard on crime and no tolerance and trying to keep your stance as a professional as well as being a woman in that field and you have to show no mercy because if you do, you're seen as weak. Now, mm-hmm. 
that's not an excuse, but I think that there's an underlying reason of overperforming in order to prove oneself. And we've talked about it many a times how women and women of color, black women, have to go overboard and over the top to prove themselves equal in a field that's dominated by men. Yeah. Yeah. um, And it's, I mean, it's a historic nomination because she is the first black woman, black woman of Indian descent nominated by a major party to national office. I think those are all the things. Yes. Um, (laughs) So we don't want to, don't want to forget that and, and note that it is important. But because of that, like one, as we always say with first, like, I'm glad it's happening, but also sad that it's like 2020. Right. Um, but, and, and then also, yes, like you said, we've talked about so many times, especially when it comes to women in politics, but pretty much any woman in a leadership position. And then you have the intersectionality of race or um, sexual identity, whatever it may be. There are these layers of having to go above and beyond and be, just being, a, I feel like, attacked more, like for just, the shoes you're wearing or uh, mm. the color you're wearing. And we're already seeing that. Um, we're already at the gate. Oh, I know. It's like already we've got phony Kamala. We've got the nasty woman has returned. There's a part of me that's like, wow, we're in 2016. It's just really... Regurgitating. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw, because of course, what better time does the president have uh, other... I mean, he doesn't have anything better to do than workshop nicknames. And some of the ones he's talking about is like attack overly ambitious, mm-hmm. um, mean. <laughs> like, I love it gets to like second grade. She's nasty. She's yeah. She's nasty. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, and it's funny to me too. I know we've talked about this so many times, but overly ambitious, just you would not hear that about a man. It was, it'd be such a rare case. Right. A man would be accused of being overly ambitious and if you're the vice president, if you're going for like one of the most powerful offices, right? You're gonna, ambition is a part of it. You don't like right. just stumble into. Well, hopefully you don't. I mean, her true ambition was to be a part of the presidential candidate, yeah, in the election, and she was. Um, she you know she stepped down from that. <laughs> so being a part of the VP is kind of like a step down for her. You know yeah. what I mean? Not well, necessarily in power, but like from her original goal to this, she's like, yeah. And and we're so excited to have a woman. I mean, that was kind of the conversation is, well, whoever he looks at, is it going to be a female or a woman or is it going to be the same conversation again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, as we, it's, we all know it's going to get, uh, it's going to be a rough election. Right, as one uh, Twitter post or tweet I read recently was like, oh man, the sexism and the racism is about to hit all new high. Yeah, yeah, Uh, it's going to be rough. Um, And I do love to, (laughs) Trump was like, I can't believe he picked her. She was mean to him. (laughs) (laughs) Like now he's getting mad on Joe Biden for Joe Biden. Um, And then he said... uh, that they probably offended he probably Joe Biden probably offended a lot of men by choosing her and I'm like well there's more than men in this wow. country believe it or yeah. not <laughs> wow yeah I'm just I'm just, it's just hilarious the level that we're at but yeah I think we're all kind of waiting to see the types of policies and reforms that they're talking about 
and and I think we have to give credit to her that she has become more aware and has slowly changed her antics and her ideas and policies. Um, we've seen it. We've seen her when she's talking about it during different um, bills coming about or whatever that she is starting to undo some of the things that she or unlearn maybe some of the things that she thought was important in California, maybe, or at least that showed in her records to be important at that point in time. Uh, We saw her going after Kavanaugh and making him answer the questions and making him, you know, kind of, he started crying. So, you know, that's always fun to see. Um, (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) y'all. That was too personal. Um, But stuff like that, that she won't hold back. Uh, And with that, you got to love it. You got to love a person who is not afraid to, Ask the right questions. Yeah. And, and keep going and pushing yes. for those answers. Yes, yes. So that's something we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on. Um, I'm sure in the coming months we'll have more to say. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm very excited to see the uh, vice president. Um, the debate. Debate. I'm very excited to see how that's going to go. Salt Lake City. I love how Pence said it in such a funny way. He was like, I'll see you in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Woo, okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. So we'll probably, we'll revisit for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is a very small bit of a large portion. And we would love to hear from you guys what you see, what you're excited about, what you're worried about. um, And uh, hear what's going on in your hometown. Tell us what's going down. Yes, and if anyone's running or participating in a campaign, oof. Ooh, tell let us, us that. No, yes, yes. You can email us at stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks, y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 